Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am super excited to have Dr. Henry Ely here with us. He is the founder of the Energetic Health Institute. He holds a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. He's board certified in holistic nutrition and has over 24 years of teaching and clinical experience. He's the lead author for the COVID research team that published five manuscripts, including the peer-reviewed and highly acclaimed COVID-19 data collection titled Comorbidity and Federal Law, as well as a 444-page peer-reviewed position statement on willful misconduct, which was titled COVID-19, Restoring Public Trust During a Public Health Crisis. You can find Dr. Ely on Twitter and Telegram at Dr. Henry Ely, and his website is energetichealthinstitute.org. Uh, also, he will be joining us in Jacksonville, Florida, October 13th through the 15th at the Bojanski Integrative Cancer Conference. Uh, you can learn more about that and get your tickets at integrativecancerconference.com. You can meet him and many other world-renowned integrative and holistic physicians and cancer health experts in person and learn what you can do to prevent and heal cancer naturally using uh, evidence-based holistic functional and integrative medicine. That's integrativecancerconference.com. Uh, Dr. Henry Ely, thanks so much for coming <laughs> on the podcast, man. I'm super happy to have you here. Oh, brother. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk you know, health healing. And then of course, what we're going to do about the corruption <laughs> you know, that's going exactly. on in our country too. It's always fun. But yeah. Talk about corruption. I mean, just five minutes ago before we went live, I said, I said, Hey, this podcast is going to have to go on our rumble channel because if I upload it on YouTube, they will take it down. Last podcast I did on COVID, they literally took down in five minutes. And wow. we're talking about evidence-based published peer-reviewed information. So we're talking about corruption and censorship and, collusion, you know, between big pharma, social media giants, uh, the government, and our so-called health governing bodies, the CDC and the WHO and so forth. Um, there's a massive amount of corruption. And I found you, um, I found out about you, really the incredible work you had been doing. I think I first saw one of your videos, maybe in 2021, and mm -hmm. was just like super impressed, dude, of like how how deep you were pulling a team together to really bring the truth about COVID to the public, like how committed you've been to it, how deep you've pulled the data and science together, um, how you've been really standing up for freedom of rights and health freedom, and how you're continuing to do that today, but also from like a really sound um, perspective. Um, and so one, I just, you know, I'm grateful for all the work you've done because you've, you've made a huge pull forward for all of us to really understand what's underneath all of this kind of COVID-19 mm -hmm. 
craziness, if you will, a lot of lies we've been told, um, but you've also been backing it up with the data and with the science. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, yeah. And second of all, I, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, the first paper you published on COVID. What kind of, what was the impetus for you to do that? Talk a little bit about that paper and what has that since led to? You know, that, that first paper and, and, and thanks for the shout out and uh, definitely mm, <clears throat> what I want to do is make sure, you know, all, all that, all the glory goes to God always. Right. And um, you know, I'm just very fortunate to have uh, just so many people uh, that are dedicated and volunteer. That's the cool thing about what we do is everybody is in it for the right reasons. Everybody's in it. Um, you know, to to really protect children. I mean, and protect children and, and preserve the liberty that our country is supposed to be about. So it's just a it's a wonderful experience from that side. Even though the topic is horrible, you know. Um, when we first got started, I, I I've been preparing my students for the last ten years. Like we knew there was something coming. You could see the writing on the wall with them changing pandemic definitions, and you could see this incredible push for vaccination, vaccination, and you start reading and, and watching their meetings. And uh, what are they always about? A needle in every arm. This is what they wanted, you know? And it's like, wow, if that's what you want, then you're not really talking about freedom. You're not even talking about safety at that point. Um, you know, for many of us, the issue of vaccines doesn't become an, an issue until we start having kids. And for me, I was no different. You know, I was, I'm vaccine injured uh, or was, um, you know, they almost killed me when I was 13, the MMR shot did, I went into acute renal failure and, uh, hospitals left me for dead. It took me by the grace of God, three weeks to, um, almost die and then recover, start recovering. And, and, and then I was left with pretty much a lifetime of seizures. That's why I wear these glasses when I'm on, I know folks think that I'm just wearing some lokes, but it's like, no, I, I have to wear this or the flicker rate will, will short circuit my brain. And this is the things that you deal with and you don't, most people don't come to learn that this is a very evil and um, care, it just completely careless industry until it affects them. And usually it affects their children. So this becomes a topic. And I started reading about the Hep B vaccine, you know, when my, right before my son was born. And you start really realizing why does this child need this damn shot when they come out of a womb? You know, I mean, it's a basic question. You know, why did it, no child is born? Hep B vaccine deficient. This is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous idea. Uh, then you start looking at the median excipient summary that's published. What's actually in the shots, and what do you get? You know, heavy metals, acetone, nail polish remover, aborted human fetal cells. Um, what else do you get? You get thimerosal, mercury that can be added after production and doesn't need to be listed as an ingredient. You start realizing this is a horrible idea, let alone a horrible, that, that how does our government allow this to, to occur? And then you understand the funding of the pharmaceutical industry and how much they, how much weight they pull with, um, with how they're able to purchase their puppets, you know, in the government. And, and, you know, and, and it's like, if we don't start having the courage to talk about this kind of things, if we don't have the courage to talk about 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, 42 USC, 300 AA-11 and dash 22, and why no company should have these kind of protections from civil litigation, then we aren't really protecting liberty. And we're, in my opinion, we're insulting the people that sacrificed their lives for us to have this liberty, you know? So for me, it, it became more of a rallying cry of, look, I wanna protect my son, I wanna protect other children, 
And uh, we knew this was coming. So March of 2020, we start the process of digging deep into the data because we, we saw this, this is the go button. You know, event 201 in October of 2019, you could see it happening. Johns Hopkins University is always in the mix on these scandals. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates, World Economic Forum, you see the players and you go, okay, they, this, isn't, this isn't just them testing some software. This is them making sure that their software is ready to go because they've been preparing for this moment for years. And then you get into Stephen Quay's work with the Bayesian analysis of how this began. And he talks openly about the RAT-G13 sample and how it was placed by um, Peter Daszak into the GenBank with eight other bat samples. This was clearly premeditated, planned, you know, what they were doing. Uh, Mickey Willis has done a great job of pandemic one and, and exposing this was this was planned. And so you start getting into this idea of premeditation and you start understanding that what were they really you start asking, well, what were they really after? Well, we start sharing the data, sharing the data, sharing the data. The team starts assembling, you know, some of my close friends and things like that. We we had been wanting to work on some projects. We didn't know we were going to be working on the biggest project in human history. But we start working on the project and we're just kind of, and the first thing we did, Nathan, was we said, let's build some curves. You know, I'm a data analyst. I used to work on International Space Station. I used to be a database developer before I became a doctor. I was like, let's build some curves and let's just see how long is this supposed to last? So we got data from Israel. We got data from South Korea. We got data from China before we realized it was all BS. And you start modeling this because these were countries that were ahead of the United States in terms of the release of this bioweapon, um, at least the infective bioweapon. Um, the, sh the whole the shots are a whole nother bio level of bioweapon. And what ends up happening is you start looking at the curves and you see a very clear curve for new cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. It's a bell-shaped curve. It goes up and then it goes down. And the length of time for the countries that were ahead of us, um, they were most countries are about uh, two to three weeks ahead of us. But you start seeing in those curves, it's very interesting. You start seeing that the length of this is only going to be about 45 days, 60 at the out, at the stretch out. So you're like, there's no reason to panic and start having lockdowns, especially when you understand that it's really the people who are most affected are over 65 with severe pre-existing conditions. The CDC publishes this on March 9th of 2020. They, they knew what, who the demographic was. They were clearly going after with this bioweapon and wiping out our elders because our social security is underwater and they wanted to wipe out the recipients for that. So you can see the financial ties. There's something really dark about all this. But then we see something very interesting in the US data, Nathan, and this is what dropped our jaws. We saw the rise, we got to the peak, and then we started seeing the decline in early April. And then we saw a secondary bump. And when you see that secondary bump in your data analysis, you realize something very important. That's not possible. That hasn't happened in any other country. How did that happen in our country? So I have to go in and be able to explain that because if that really is a, if it's a real bump, that means we missed the mark and there's something very wrong with the health of going on. But so we went down to the CDC and the National Vital Statistics System. We start looking at their data collection practices and, and how were they doing it for, for this. And we come across an important document. March 24th, 2020, we come across the COVID alert number two by the CDC. COVID alert number two explicitly states how they're going to report death certificates. 
And what it says in that document is damning. It says COVID will be the cause of death more often than not. And you go, whoa, how can you make a, a statement like that so early into a pandemic? Then a few days later, the CDC publishes a document called the uh, from the um, Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists. And what that document says is that all you have to do is cough once to be counted as a COVID case. What that document also says in Section 7B is that you do not have to have any methodology for making sure the same person couldn't be counted multiple times. So what you're talking about is the foundation of criminal data fraud established. And when you start learning more about the laws, you start understanding that this is a violation of multiple federal laws that are designed to protect the public from agencies going rogue like this. So we start publishing on this throughout 2020 and ultimately it, cultivate, it, it culminates in the peer reviewed paper because um, what we had found was so such a bombshell that um, Children's Health Defense National did not actually wanna touch it. We were actually in conversation with Children's Health Defense National and, uh, and we went through a series of meetings. They did not want to touch it because they were, it was an election cycle. Everybody, remember, you got to remember 2020, people were crazy. I mean, it's, people are still crazy now, but there was, it was insanity in 2020. Right. So I'm not faulting CHD National. I'm just telling people historically what happened. So at CHD National ultimately comes back to us and says, is, look, this has to be peer reviewed. All right, we, we cannot go with something like this unless it gets peer reviewed. So we said, okay, that's cool. Um, it's, it's, it's important because you could see them fast tracking these damn mRNA shots and these damn adenoviral vector shots. So we, I wanted to get it out before the election cycle because we could also see it was a setup for mail-in balloting and was just gonna lead to ballot harvesting. And you could see all of the, the game that was afoot. So what we did was we went through peer review with uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, his organization, IPAC. It was the most lengthy peer review process I've ever been a part of. It was over two months long. We had uh, standard peer reviewers, but we also went through nine attorneys who also peer reviewed it and a judge who peer reviewed it as well. This paper has been through the highest level of scrutiny and it withstood all of that scrutiny. And what it came out with um, was we publish it, it's peer reviewed, it still was too hot of a topic, unfortunately, for CHD National to cover. So um, we decided to break from CHD National at that time with the paper and go our own route. And when we went our own route, we ultimately um, came across Senator Dennis Linthicum and Senator Kim Thatcher in Oregon, um, who are very staunch um, of just freedom in general, but especially health freedom people. And they, they you know, said, hey, what can we do to help? you know, which is really awesome. You don't hear that every day. So um, we asked them to write a letter to um, the U.S. attorney and request a grand jury investigation of what we found. The U.S. attorney violated his oath and his duty and sent it to the Department of Justice instead of to the grand jury. And uh, what that took us into was by March of 2022, because um, this takes a you know, this is just ridiculous how long all this stuff takes. But by 2022, we file the first federal grand jury petition um, uh, alleging willful misconduct and criminal data fraud. 
based upon what we found, we submit over a thousand pages of evidence to the courts. Um, the uh, Department of Justice signs on to defend the people that we've accused of these crimes Jeez. instead of protecting the people. Holy and now God. that and now that's in process. So we have uh, we have attorney Steve Jonkis representing us. We have Senator Linthicum and Senator Thatcher uh, and myself named on the on the um, petition. And we are still in progress. We're one of the few teams that's actually still in the game, you know, with this all these years later. And uh, we're fighting like you wouldn't believe behind the scenes. And the good news is that um, we have such a great argument. The Department of Justice only keeps adding attorneys to their team. So now the Department of Justice has lawyered up, and I believe there's now five attorneys working against us, uh, a little small band of rebels. <laughs> Jeez. <that's laughs> we have crazy. the evil empire, the Death Star, you know, the, trying the to David come after and us. Goliath story. Yeah. The Star right. Wars story. The how crazy is that? So who is the, the Department of Justice actually defending? Are they defending the C the CDC or who did you? So yeah. we named, so we named Robert Redfield, the, the, the previous director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky. Uh, we, we know for a fact she resigned because we, she's under heavy pressure because of what we've been applying consistently to her. She didn't want any part of this. Um, so we know that it's a, it's a, it's a stupid moral victory, but we know we, we accomplished that. Um, then we have, uh, Alex Azar and, um, uh, Xavier Becerra who were head of the health and human services. See, because what you have to understand about the nuance, it's not just criminal data fraud and it's not just willful misconduct. The reason we're going after those as linchpins is because willful misconduct, once it's proven, is the only legal concept that pierces the protections of the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. So it opens the floodgates for every single person who was not given informed consent, not told that this was a genetic infection device, a bioweapon, it gives them now a means to sue Pfizer, Moderna, J&J &J into oblivion. And so that's what we're if going you after. Win. Well, we will win. Yeah. Um, so I um, believe it. I mean, you know, it, we're, we're, we're going all this is this has Supreme Court written all over it. Right. Well, what for those who, those who don't know that the actor, the 1986 act you're talking about is yeah. basically protects all vaccine manufacturers from any liability whatsoever. You cannot sue them if you get vaccine injured and you prove it or your child dies from a vaccine or becomes autistic or you know develops any kind of chronic disease from it and you can scientifically prove it you cannot sue those vaccine manufacturers the drug companies you can't do anything to them you can try and prove it there's a fund set aside right that mm -hmm. we pay don't we pay into that fund with our the vaccine injury fund from well actually i know that uh, pharmaceutical companies have to pay into it but do tax Payers no, they, pay they don't. Well. They actually, the, the pharmaceutical industry actually doesn't pay into it. It's what they've done is they assign um, a small fee. It's usually anywhere from 50 cents to $1.25. That's associated with every single shot administered. And that's what pays in and builds the funds. So we actually pay for it, especially people who are paying through some form of government insurance. So the fun, so the fee comes because, yeah, when I looked into that, it, it, they made it sound like that they're charged the pharmaceutical companies for that 50 cent fee or whatever, yeah, but no, <laughs> so how does that actually work? How does that so, come from? So us? every single shot has a cost associated with it, right? So let's say, so Biden administration purchased 500, what, $500 million 
of uh, of additional shots that nobody wanted, right? There's going to be for each one of those shots is going to have a cost, and part of that cost is going to be a fifty cents or a dollar twenty five or whatever it comes out to to go to into that fund, and then they're not going to let anybody access that fund. We still to this day have zero payout. Well, let me not let me correct that. We have zero payouts, but we have the first. I think there's been one case that has been agreed to through the VICP that uh, they're that they need and, and have earned compensation. See the, the thing that's messed up about this. I thought there Nathan, was like billions of dollars that have been paid out. Oh, there's there there have been billions paid out, but I'm talking about specifically for the COVID. Shots. Oh, for COVID, I see what you're saying. Now, yeah. just real quick, um, I want to hear what you're about to say, but before I lose this, um, the is that the same way? I mean, is that also true? How that fifty cents to a dollar, whatever it is. Is that also for all the other vaccines, yes. childhood vaccines? So, it's a, so basically, it is our tax dollars that are essentially to pay for this fund for the damages that these pharmaceutical companies do to us and our children. We pay for that; they don't. We pay for it by, by the accumulation of of that small little extra fee that's associated with the damn shots. Yeah. Wow. So it's all it's all completely corrupt. The, the pharmaceutical industry has no accountability. And, and this is the thing people don't get. People are like, well, you know, maybe they shouldn't. It's like, well, stop. They're making money hand over fist, number one. What you have to understand is that a, a citizen's right to sue a company for a defaultive product that, that injured or killed their child is what corrects the industry. Exactly. If you don't, if you remove that public check and balance from that process, there is no incentive for them to improve their product safety or their product efficacy. And what have we seen with these products? They didn't prevent any infections. They've only completely dysregulated the immune system. They're completely indicated in neurodegeneration and turbo cancers, and they have been resulting in sudden death, you know, throughout the entire country, the globe. When you look at it, where's the accountability? Well, if people can't sue, they're beholden now to a prosecutor, like a U.S. attorney, to launch a grand jury investigation. And we see how well that's going, right? You know, so what you start looking at is there's no means to correct the problem. And that's what checks and balances is supposed to be about in our country. So, you know, so it's the only product in the entire world that has this kind of, you know, um, immunity. From these kind of self-correcting mechanisms that the people are supposed to possess. So, um, at any rate, you know, you you get into all that, and I think we we know, and it all it's all wrong. So it's like, okay, what are we going to do about it? And that's where it's like, well, we're not just it's not just a bunch of citizens. There's been great actual cases that have been brought, but because it's just citizens, they get kind of dismissed. The thing that's unique about this case is that we're arguing not about necessarily the death certificates or the misappropriation of $3.5 trillion of U.S. taxpayer money. Those are major themes, but it's what we're really getting down to is the citizen's right when the citizen knows of substantiated allegations of criminal activity to engage the grand jury to investigate because the grand jury is supposed to belong to the people, not to the prosecutor, not to the Department of Justice, it's not contextually assigned to any branch of our government because our founding fathers realized that governments could become corrupt and you needed to have a peaceful means with which to address that. That's what the grand jury system 
was supposed to be and, and has always been for in this country until recently when the Department of Justice has now attempted to co-opt it and become the would-be gatekeepers you know, for it. So what we're wow. doing is we're pressing that attack because we win here. And what happens next is now election integrity has an opportunity to get to the grand jury and any and closing the borders has a chance to get to the grand jury and any other corruption that we see has a chance to get to the grand jury so the grand jury can investigate it and hand down indictments where they are appropriate. And it is then the, re the responsibility of the prosecutor to press those indictments and now we get correction we, we get the restoration of order in our country and to us when we look at this nathan this is the last attempt at a peaceful resolution we are doing everything we can to ensure a peaceful resolution to this massive corruption because if you don't do that history has been very clear on what happens to societies that do not correct corruption they fall Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, and yeah. uh, that's what it is. So a couple things coming to mind. First is, do you have a, um, like a donation page, a way to kind of help fund oh, yes. you guys and what you're doing? Yeah, so we've been really blessed. We've put on two major events, um, COVIDCon and Beyond the Con, uh, with in conjunction with uh, Church of Glad Tidings in, uh, and Pastor Dave and Cheryl and all the great people up there in Northern Cali. Um, so if people go to beyondthecon.com, there is a, uh, a means with which to donate. Um, that's beyondthecon.com. There's a means by which to donate. Every single penny goes is what's called uh, goes into a reserved status as a donation. And what that means is that we can only use that money to press forward the issue of, of freedom uh, and, and specifically with this grand jury case. So our pledge and our promise to everyone, because we know there's a lot of people that have been burned, you know, out there donating organizations and people misusing doing the whole black lives matters thing and misusing money and stuff um you know so we have a pledge to everyone is very simple every single dollar will go for this fight you know um i don't make any money on this i'm a complete volunteer we've um god we 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 did the, we made the mistake of looking at how much actual time we put in <laughs> on this one day and I think collectively as a team, we've uh, invested uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like over $10 million of, wow. of our time into this all already. And we'll, and we'll invest uh, however much we want. It's not about the money, obviously, but um, just to give people an idea of how much how, there are Americans out there who love you and are sacrificing everything for it. And the, so your support is incredibly appreciated. Um, donations are incredibly appreciated. We really do appreciate them greatly. Yeah, it's incredible. I know you've been volunteering so much in your entire team. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to donate to help. I, I've been following your work for the last couple of years and I know 
how dedicated and committed, and I feel, uh, you know, you're a true person of, of integrity. So if there's something that people are asking, what can I do right mm -hmm. now? This is what you can do. You can donate to help because the only way we make real changes, big changes for all of us is in the legal system. Yeah. Right. And that's what you're working on. And so beyond the con.com go donate there. Um, definitely and something you can do. Nathan, there's one other thing on that homepage as well. You, that you can one read everything that has been filed so you can get caught up on the case and get yourself acclimated. There's the homepage is just tons of information on it. Um, That's awesome. But, well, thank you. Thank you for all the work you've done up until this point. I it's, mean, it's, it's, it's totally huge. cool. Yeah, it's totally cool. And there's also something that we've been partnered with uh, Stand for Health Freedom. Yep. And Stand for Health Freedom was the first major organization to back us. And we have put together a um, signatory page for people who say, yes, I want to see this done. Um, so we have amassed over 250,000 signatures from Americans thus far. So we would encourage everybody to go and, and find Stand for Health Freedom one. And you could, there's actually a link on Beyond the Con to take you straight there to sign on it. Yep. The reason that's important is because the major hurdle in the court of law is this simple question. Is there significant public interest? So we demonstrate that to the courts every single time we we file with them. We make sure and update and know, hey, there's this X amount of Americans want this to happen. That's a significant number, two hundred and fifty thousand people already. But yeah, I've signed it. that. I've signed that petition. I'll sh for those of you who are watching how to get to it. It's StandForHealthFreedom.com. It's under petitions. It is this one, right? Sign our petition, convene a special grand jury. Mm -hmm. That's and it. And then you can you can sign this one. You can share it. Um, I've also donated to Stand for Health Freedom. I love the work that they're doing. Um, also a nonprofit organization, right? And yep. um, doing amazing work. So you can sign this petition and then you can uh, share it as well. And I encourage everyone to do that. But so those are some action steps we can take. Um, obviously, there's more we can do, but everything we can do makes a difference. Now, taking a step back, you were talking about the study you were talking about a moment ago was the was that the COVID nineteen data collection comorbidity federal correct. law study? Yeah, yeah. correct. Mm -hmm. So you you covered a couple of the points in that. Um, what are some of the other just like really shocking key points mm. in that paper that people really need to know and understand? You know what's what's actually happened behind the scenes that most of most of the public doesn't even realize still to this day. Right. Well, what do you need to have a pandemic? You need dead bodies. You can't have a pandemic unless you have it, right? So what they what they needed to do was make sure that they had a rapidly rising death count. Right? That's the only way you're going to be able to substantiate that this with the public so that people are like, "Oh my god, this is something I should be afraid of." Right? So you have to drum up fear. This is total Nazi propaganda, Joseph Goebbels crap. All right? In order to do that, you have to, you, you know, you're not going to get the dead bodies. So unless you do a several things, number one, you have to manipulate the data collection, right? You have to be able to call everything COVID and you have to be able to change the places on the death certificate. So a lot of these people had pre-existing conditions. And what a lot of people don't know about pre-existing conditions, um, Nathan, is that the oldest pre-existing condition 
is what is considered the cause of death. So let's say you had um, COPD for 10 years, right? And then you contracted SARS-CoV-2 and died. COPD would be considered the cause of death. It's your primary, and then you have secondary, sometimes they would put on. Right, and you'll see that when you look at the columns, you'll see it, but the primary is always the oldest. Exactly. What they did in this case, but only for COVID, is they said, if you get a COVID diagnosis and a person dies, all the pre-existing stuff moves down to a different section of the death certificate. And that's, and the cause is listed as COVID. And that's how you now get a rapidly rising death count. When you add on that a person only needs to cough once in order to be diagnosed with COVID, now you get a rapidly rising case count and hospitalization count. And now so for you people get who don't know, I want to just make this yeah, really clear please. for people, people who don't know, this was a, a paper that was sent out. This was a, uh, I don't remember what they called it. it you know, it was a, uh, a guidelines that they sent out to all the mm -hmm. hospitals early mm -hmm. on that basically said, you do not. And I read this, this is a legitimate guideline that was sent to all doctors, all hospitals that said, even if you suspect somebody has COVID and you don't test, make sure you put COVID on the death certificate. 100%. And that was that was the biggest change. I mean, the most craziest change in how to report on death certificates that any doctor I interviewed during COVID said, I've never seen anything like this in my mm -hmm. 40 plus years as a physician. This is the most insane thing I've ever seen. Do you want me to screen share it? I can pull it up for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Let me, um, I'm, I'm queuing it right now. So, so that's crazy. It's like, oh, he has a cough. It could be one of a hundred different things, but we're going to put COVID. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. What? Like it could be any of a million things, right? <laughs> it's, it, it's nuts. It's like, oh, I was just clearing my throat. Ah, it's COVID. COVID. Right? <laughs> Lock him up, put him in, you know, throw away the key, give him the drugs. You got, like you got the Rona. Hey, you have to give me a screen share if you, if oh, I yeah, can, yeah. can put it on. But um, yeah, that's nuts, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's laughable on space. But then, Nathan, you know what's crazy is that then you have to take the next step, right? Because the next step is there's going to be a lot of doctors who do honor oaths and say, I'm not doing this. That's a lie. And there's going to be hospital administrators that are saying, no, we're not doing this because I don't want to get dinged for insurance fraud, right, with this. So what do they do? They heavily financially incentivize the diagnosis. You get a greater ROI from the insurance returns when you diagnose COVID. And you have to remember at this point in time, only thing hospitals could see was COVID. They shut down every other thing. You couldn't have discretionary surgical procedures. And so the only way to make money for a hospital was to get in line and do exactly what they wanted you to do. So, so that you, money came from that incentive actually came from yeah. the insurance companies. No, and this is this is why we put the Health and Human Services Department on the petition. It came specifically from the HHS. It and comes that, from yeah, okay. yeah, you got uh, it. And that's basically taxpayer dollars. That's taxpayer dollars paying for the criminal fraud. Exactly what it is, and that's where we go. Three point five trillion dollars, and that's that's through uh, March of last year. And it was something it's like you got fifteen a fifteen thousand dollar additional. Right. Was was that the amount insurance benefit if you had a COVID diagnosis in the hospital? Exactly, and you, it was a, it was an eighty percent bump. Um, but what you also got is you get an even bigger bump with ventilators. And what do we know now? They were suffocating people with oxygen 
And what do you get? You get an increase in the death count. Oh, we're trying the very thing that's the last ditch effort. We're going to pump oxygen down their throats and they die. Oh, you see how horrible this is? You, you should be scared. We're going to show you some lie propaganda, uh, some fear porn of people just dropping dead on the streets. Okay. What happened to the homeless population? Nothing. None of them. Nothing. Uh, very few of them got COVID or died from COVID. Exactly. So that shouldn't that have wiped them out? You know, right. and this is this is when, but by this time, there's such a hysteria that's generated, rational thinking, questions, critical questions thrown out the window. And then when you look at like what Bhattacharya was doing with the great Barrington Declaration and yep. the censorship, you have this perfect collusion of criminal data fraud, um, just complete incentivization of of wrong action and then censorship. And you put those three things together and what do you get? You get the pandemic, a pandemic that can last for as long as you can make it last, which this should have petered out. The bioweapon infection should have petered out within about 45 days. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life at healinglife.net you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So... I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. So, so the bigger question I have is why, I mean, I know down the chain, the lower you go down the chain of command, mm -hmm. all the way down to just, hey, I'm just a, a regular person at home who cares about the safety of my kids, right? Right. All the way up to physicians, to doctors, to then you get into government, you know, corporations, pharmaceutical companies, uh, social media giants, etc. But all the way up to the top, you work all the way down. A lot of people, I feel the, their compassion was co-opted by this narrative that if mm -hmm. you love and care about your neighbors, your family, your elderly, your grandparents, then you will get the vaccine. You will stay at home. You will. So I think most people just did what they did um, out of fear and out of love, right? A hundred percent. Now, going all the way to the top, let's say CDC, HHS, WHO, why would they do the things that they did? <laughs> well, the first thing you have to look at is, is you have to look at how much money was spent on marketing. Right. And this is, again, American taxpayer dollars being spent on marketing, which is putting together propaganda campaigns to play upon fear. 
and also play upon American sense of duty, duty to family, duty to country, duty to loving your grandparents, things like that, right? So what it allows them to do is put out a lot of lies. So let me let me show, I'm always really big on, hey, if I say something, we got to back it up, right? I want people to know, like, I, look, I'm not just pulling this out of some thin air and, and embellishing, you know, because there's a lot of that out there and we don't want to be a part of it. So when you look at this, you know, you look at, I'm going to share just a couple of slides here, Nathan, for, for your audience. Did the CDC violate multiple federal laws leading to data hyperinflation, right? Criminal data fraud. Yes, here's that document you were alluding to, Nathan, COVID alert number two, publishes on March 24th, 2020. And you can see, and you can see it's from the CDC and look what they're showing. Will COVID be the underlying cause? You know, they're telling you it depends on a lot of things, but however, the rules for coding and selection for the underlying cause of death are expected to result in COVID-19 being the underlying cause more often than not. What? <laughs> How can you say crazy. that? And then they have down here as well, should COVID-19 be reported on a death certificate without a confirmed test? And they're saying, yes. And they put in bold, I didn't bold this, they bolded this or is assumed to have caused or contributed to death. That means I want they want every single count they can get, right? And then you press forward and you here's that death certificate example. So here's a side-by-side. -side. Here's a guy who dies with, uh, had COPD, hypertension, and then caught flu, the flu. This is, and then dies. This is his death certificate. But if that same person had, was diagnosed with COVID, this is now how the death certificate looks completely different. And that's yeah, COVID get... basically for those who can't see it's COVID-19 is the basically the main cause on top and then part B down below yeah. written a little bit smaller. It's, it's the, the other uh, chronic health conditions. Which becomes significant when you remember it and you realize the CDC says that 94%, 95% of people who died have it had on average 4.0 comorbidities pre-existing right. conditions, right? Um, and then there was one other thing. Oh, here's here's that one from there, 4.0 comorbidities. And then there was one other one that we wanted to show here. So here's this, uh, this one from the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists that publishes on April 14th, no, April 6th of 2020. CDC adopts it on April 14th of 2020. This is that section 7B I was telling you about. Criteria to distinguish a new case of this disease or condition from reports or notifications which should not be enumerated as a new case for surveillance. That's a word salad saying, how do we make sure we don't count the same person twice? Okay. <laughs> Look what their answer is. These are virologists. Not applicable until more virologic data are available. Jeez. That's ridiculous. You, you mean to tell me you can't get somebody's driver's license and name? and the date that they took the test and make sure you're not counting them more than once in a week, right? That's ridiculous. You don't That's need logic data to set that up. I'm a data analyst. This, was, this is obvious fraud right here. And you're going to get a hyperinflation of case counts and hyperinflation of hospitalizations. And then if those people die because of they were shoved, had remdesivir shoved down their throats, then guess what? You're going to get a hyperinflation of deaths. And this is how, and then, and who still gets paid for all those deaths? In fact, more money? Well, um, let's see. Um, there, That's the one cough in that same paper. Uh, by the At way- At least one of the following symptoms. This is cr clinical criteria for reporting. If you have at least two of the following symptoms, 
fever, or at least one of the following symptoms, cough, shortness of breath, or difficulty breathing. I mean, that could be any number of things, any number Anything. of things. That's guess who, guess wow. who funds this group, this, the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists? Who? Take a wild guess. Take a wild guess. Uh, one of the, some of the pharmaceutical companies. Not really. It's more of Gavi, World Economic Forum, yep. Bill and Melinda okay. Gates. It's the usual play, same players that were involved with Event 201 at Johns Hopkins University. Which I remember, so going back to Event 201, I remember seeing Event 201 happen, mm -hmm. um, right? Like, I, I, so January of 2020 is when they say, okay, hey, COVID is this thing, it's been discovered, it's spreading, blah, 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 right? Right. But Event 201 happened in October of 2019, I think, so... Yep, a few correct. months before and two. So I remember seeing the videos of event 201 literally around the same time as COVID was like starting to, you know, scare the world. I think I saw it in maybe February or March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I thought that was the real thing. And I was like, wait, what is going on here? You know, and I started <laughs> looking into it and who funded it and what was the, you know, why they were doing it. And I'm just like, and I started sharing it and all of a sudden, you know, you were called a conspiracy theorist and your accounts were getting flagged and you're, and I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And that's when I, I immediately knew something was up, right? Like right. how do they literally uh, plan everything that happened, the social media censoring, the mm -hmm. shutting down of the economies, the, oh, you know what? We don't have a treatment for COVID, so we can't do anything until there's a vaccine. They literally played it all out in supposed to be a make-believe you know, a, a, a disease preparedness, uh, preparation experience, and then right. of a corona, of a novel coronavirus, <laughs> and what? then three months later, a novel coronavirus, and everything they, they did in that experiment, that preparedness thing came 100% true. So it's like, how do you not connect those things? Um, but if you did, you were this wild conspiracy theorist. It was, it was insane. This, you and know, you still are today to some degree, but I think millions and fact, millions of what's the, if it's there's a theory and then there's fact. So theorist factist is that what we call? <laughs> We're, I'm a conspiracy factist now. There you go. There you go. The conspiracies <laughs> that we had theorized have all become fact. So there you I'm go. running out of conspiracies to be honest with you. <laughs> Everything's come true, right? It's kind of like, all right shoot you know i mean i gotta start thinking some new stuff aliens we gotta bring them in what are we what are we doing here but you know i i think the thing with all of this was you know it's easy to see it's it was much harder for us to see all of us that were like really paying attention hardcore right and you, and you gotta you gotta data dive and then it's like it's it's like every rabbit hole you go down you're just like oh my god this is horrible and this has been planned for a long time we're seeing that now with our research on plasmids um, and working with people who are recovering right now, um, it's a major thing. And then, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, plasmids must have just been some new tech that they were using in, over the last 10, 15 years or something like that. Plasmids, they've been using plasmids since at least 1968 that we can find. Um, and they convey antibiotic resistance. So, you know, and, and the literature is very clear. It's not the overconsumption of antibiotics that's led to antibiotic resistance in microorganisms. It's actually the transfection of plasmids which means that this is all by design. They've been working on this for 50, about 50 years. What are you know, plasmids? This, okay. Plasmids are um, uh, lab created ways to develop, to deliver a payload, a 
DNA payload into a cell, human, mammalian, yeast, bacterial, E. coli, they're one of their favorite ones that they use in, in the labs. And when the when you see, hear the word transfection, it sounds fancy. It just means infect. It means the plasmid infects it. And then the plasmid, here I can actually bring a picture up for your audience and make it a little bit easier. This is all we work on now, but I mean, this is, we are just a hundred percent into, um, into, uh, the, this, oh my God, like the weeds, man, <laughs> you know, you just get to a point where you're like, what do you do with your life? Uh, I researched the most horrible things in the world in hopes that I'm going to stumble upon something beautiful that God wants me to find so I can help save his children. That's, mm. that's what do you do with your life? That's what I do with my life every day. Wow. Um, so here's a here's a plasmid map, all right? And this is an, a schema of a, a general plasmid. You have a region that um, of origin of replication, which allows these to self-replicate. That's terrifying. Uh, you have a region that um, confers antibiotic resistance to whatever is infected. That's terrifying. And you have a region that um, has a payload, uh, in this case, with the SARS-CoV-2 shots, um, the COVID shots, a weaponized payload in here of DNA. Um, and you have a promoter region that allows for this DNA region to start uh, replicating into messenger RNA as well. And so this is, this is what they play with and have been playing with for 50 years. They're very open about it. Their literature is extensive on this and there you can actually buy these kits you don't have to have any training on this these plasmids uh, can transfect or infect a host and the host is a cell um, so what you get is you get basically a genetic infect infecting device here and that's how they made all the mrna for pfizer and for moderna the plasmids are directly attached to the adenoviral vector in Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. This is how they deliver their payload into the mm. cell. And their payload is, is you know, at, at best, it's the spike glycoprotein, which we know is a bioweapon. But at worst, it's, it can be many other things can be really whatever they want in this, in this sequence in here. So what we have seen is the rise of antibiotic resistance, right? And it's pretty, pretty open. And what do they always tell the public? What's the cause of antibiotic resistance? They say the cause is over prescription, over consumption of antibiotics. Well, antibiotics, you're never going to hear an argument from me saying you need antibiotics. You know, there's plenty of natural antibiotics, but um, the notion that you could overprescribe and that's the cause is a false flag. It's that for decades, they've been infecting the food supply and the waterways and everything with plasmids and genetically weaponized bacteria and that spreads globally. And now what you have ultimately is everybody has some form of uh, antibiotic resistance within them. And then what that does is it allows them to say, well, antibiotics aren't working anymore. We have to go to something stronger. Well, what's stronger? Well, we're going to call it gene therapy, but really it's genetic infections. And that's what they're looking at doing is they want mm. to be able to say, yeah, antibiotics don't work anymore because we made a, we, we made a boo-boo, right? That nobody's going to pay for. And now we need to inject you with whatever we say is in this syringe all the time um, or else you're going to die. So you think they're trying to 
replace all other vaccines with this kind of technologies, mRNA. Technology. Oh, it's it's not. It, I don't even need to think that. I mean, that they're very clear about that. When you look at what's in development, there's over 600 new um, uh, genetic infection bioweapons in in production right now at various stages, phase one, phase two, and phase three of the clinical trial process. They're actively studying. Um, you can go to Celtic Biotech if you want to verify what I'm saying. They're actively studying the use of uh, cobra toxins and rattlesnake toxins, uh, what are called crow toxins and and uh, um, and bungrow toxins and uh, cobra toxins and things like that um, in the study of, uh, of using venomous compounds to be anti- cancerous, which is just absurd. Um, and it just, you know, I, I could tell, I keep telling people, you know, you, you got to really listen to Dr. Artis. Um, yep. He took a lot of crap and understandably so he's coming out with something that nobody thought was even possible. It's so evil. Um, and I, I tried to prove him wrong. I did, you know, I was one of those docs. I was like, I think he's full of it. And, but instead of me just saying he's full of it and leaving it at that, I'm going to go and I'm going to tear this whole thing down so we can get back focused on this other stuff. And I got to tell you, Nathan, um, the only thing that I was able to do was prove him right and go deeper. And then, and now me and him, we talk all the time, like every day. <laughs> and, and the things that we find are just so insane um, that are going on out there. And it's more, it's definitive proof that this has been going on for a long time. This was always their play. Um, and plasmids are the delivery system for the payload. You know, they, they know which segments of venoms are, are um, caustic and, and deadly to, um, to, the, to the human body. That's the crazy thing. My buddy, well, you know, Jonathan Otto, I'm sure. Um, yep. He produced the Co-Venom uh, mm -hmm. documentary. And, uh, and I, saw, I saw his documentary with artists, Dr. Artis, um, before I think it's been released publicly, he sent it to me ahead of time to review it for. I don't know if he's released that one yet. I saw it. It's not released it. yet. I don't know if he has or he hasn't yet on that one. I don't remember. If not, it's it's it, it's gonna be released soon. Uh, I think it's brilliant. called Co Venom, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which same like as I watched it, I was just like, "There's no way this is true," but as the evidence keeps getting shown again and again and again and again and again it's like by the end of it it's like you have no option but to believe that it's true and at the same time if you do it's the realization of how evil you know the evil intention is behind all of this to to agree yeah. that to a degree that i think many of us feel but don't want to accept it, it and it's fair you you know you i think you have to give people in the public like, look, I, I went through the same process. You know, I didn't want to believe it. I actually wanted to discredit it and disprove it. I wasn't able to. And if we're truly being objective, which we hope people are, because if, if, if this day and age requires objectivity, it means that you retain the right to change your mind in the presence of new information. All right. I didn't know the depth of this. I do now. And as a scientist, as a critical thinker, as an objective human being, who is also a dad first, you know, it is my duty to change my mind. It, it's not about my comfort, you know, it's about what is right. And that doesn't depend on my comfort or my ability to accept new information. It depends on my ability actually to just be open 
to the idea that there is a great evil that has been unleashed upon us. And it has been working behind the scenes in the shadows for a very long time. And they feel like they have the tech and the capability to deploy it now. And the question then becomes, what are we going to do about that? Right. You know, and so for us and my team, it's been really clear. We're going to do everything we can. We're, we're, we're in this for the whole way. Um, you know, my, my attitude is, and I've, I've been very open about this. You know, I don't fear death. I don't believe that anyone ever dies and I've, I'm doing God's work. So I don't, I have no concerns about that stuff. But my feeling is that this is worth a life. Mm. You know, this fight right now cannot be turned over to our children. Our children are not equipped to handle this. And it would give, it would be another 20 years of, of the evil being able to grow. And now you're talking about with technology, you're talking about insurmountable kind of things at that point. This, we have to draw the line here and we have to draw it now. Um, you know, there has to be a rain placed on this ridiculously irresponsible genetic um, uh, testing and and lab work. And we have to stop looking at this as this is this next great thing going on. You cannot tell me that studying snake venoms for cancer treatment is a great thing. You know, you cannot tell me that that the criminal fraud that constructed all of this um, is a great thing. You cannot tell me that the gross pathological amounts of money that go into our government and that go into these biotech industry are, are a great thing. You know, all they're, all we're preparing for by supporting this or even worse, just ignoring it is, um, yes, I did say that, right. It's even worse to ignore it. All right. Um, all we're doing is inviting slavery by a different name back mm. into our, our reality. And I am a proudly a um, seventh generation uh, free man. You know, my lineage traces back to 1812 to a marriage license between two slaves. You wow. know, uh, so for me, this is very visceral. This is very much I am will not allow my son or children to go back into slavery. Um, it just won't happen. And that's what the social credit crap is. That's what all sadly this uh this uh trans crap is you know it's all pushes from different small angles so it doesn't look like any of it's connected to push people into a false belief that they need the protection of their government and that's not how um, god intended any of this to be and it's certainly not how our founding fathers intended this country to operate and we give up that and i'm gonna tell everybody straight up we give up our guns it's over you know, I mean, I don't care what your stance is on guns. Everybody has to be able to have one. It's the only thing in this country that it's the only reason why this country hasn't been run over like Australia, Australia. and China and, and all look these at Canada other too, yeah. Canada, right? If you if you think guns are bad and you think that there's a problem here, even though ninety nine point nine 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 percent of Americans honor the four rules of gun ownership, you know, yeah. if you think guns are bad. I'm going to invite you to go live in North Korea for a month. And you tell me how you feel about your, about America after you live out there. I'm going to invite oh, I you agree. to go live in I mean, China. I don't, I don't even own a gun because I just don't like guns anymore. But I, I, I a hundred percent agree. You can't give up your right to own a gun you can't. in this country because if, if that right gets taken away, there's nothing anyone will be able to do to stop the oppression that our government is, 
forcing upon us and they're taking a little bit of rights every few years, a little bit, a few more, a few more, a few more. Where do you think this goes to? Do you think it's a group of different at the top, a group of different organizations? What's the head of this snake? Is it the World Economic Forum? Is it a different group of <clears throat> bodies, including the World Economic Forum? Where do you think the head of this snake really is? Follow the money. Yeah. You follow the money, you get every answer you don't want. All right. And it comes down to the sadly, you know, Nathan, when you get into this, it comes down to you have the the people that trace their lineage back all the way to the pharaohs, really. Um, or really? at least or at least tie themselves, you know, in some way, shape, or form with the ruling aristocracy of the pharaohs. It's really dark, it's really ugly. I don't I don't, I don't think we have time to really get into it. And it's, and there, and that is, would be like, okay, now you're, you've teetered from conspiracy factus into conspiracy theorist. And it's like, yes, I, I would, I would agree with somebody when we start discussing those things when I'm not here. And I don't think we, I don't think it's a solid tactical plan to go after the head of the snake. I, I, I don't, um, I think it's a solid tactical plan for us to take out their puppets. And when you take out their puppets, it forces delays in their plans and it forces them to reveal themselves even more. But the reality is this, there's a lot of really messed up stuff in the world right now, a lot. But the thing we have to always keep in mind is not everything is messed up. You know, that God exists all over the place and every, really literally everywhere. We get the world we create. That's the beauty of the gift of free will that we've been given. We get the world we want to create. And, you know, I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of people have used their free will for very evil purposes. And what we have to do rather than going, well, where is this starting? And let's get, you know, I think what we have to do is, is just really get into, um, an awareness of it, an acceptance that it's ongoing, and then a fundamental mirror question that we have with ourselves. What are we going to do about it? You know, there's no way I'm going before God after I die and telling him that I did nothing. Right. It's just not happening, right? Um, I, I think that's the fastest way to be damned, okay? Because um, this beautiful thing we call life, and it is incredibly amazing, it's still really just an illusion. What we are is far greater than all this. We are beings of light, you know? And you can see it in so many great people who have maintained who they are and even come into a greater expression of who they are during these dark times. Um, so it's, it's possible for us to prevail here as long as we do not give in to hate and despair and fear along this journey you know yeah. we will prevail here and I, I think that's the the bigger thing that's why people I, you know you have no idea how many times i've had people come at me and say oh well you know doc what you're doing it won't work it won't work and my my response to them is you're right it won't work with that attitude you know that's why we don't have that attitude i don't allow those attitudes on my team we have an attitude that there is an unbashed unapologetic expectation of success and that's how you approach these kind of things because that's the energy it takes to bring that reality into a very dark space, to bring that kind of light into a dark space. So we mm -hmm. do that, you know? And if you stay in love, if you stay in logic, and if you stay in light, there is no place where darkness can prevail. 
you know, that's the beauty of being in the light. So um, I would tell people, yeah, there's some rabbit holes that you go down, they're going to ruin your Sunday. <laughs> I will tell you that right now. But there's also some beautiful things like the simplicity of stars in the sky at night and the simplicity of being out in nature and hearing some birds chirping in the morning and realizing that at no point in time has God ever abandoned us. Yeah, We just have to be able to tap into this beautiful energy that's around us at all times. And that's what I do my best to, to be about even in the darkness. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you for that, brother. Thank you for all the work that you do and for bringing the light to the darkness and for you know helping move forward this important movement on so many fronts, educational front, legal front, uh, you know, all the work that you do uh, with your team, you know, the research. So, um, yeah, I appreciate it so much. And I'm sure all of our viewers and listeners do as well. Everyone tuning in, you know, please share this interview with as many people as you can, because it really is about education. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's why I do the work I do, because as I learn, it's, I want other people to learn as well. The more we learn about our health, about what's really going on, what we can do to protect our lives, our health freedom, and the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our great, 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 great grandchildren. The more we know, the more we can do. So thank you, brother, for all you've been doing, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Nathan, brother, so much for having me. It's so great to finally get to meet you. And it's just a privilege to be able to speak to your audience. Thanks for making it possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to encourage everyone, uh, go check out two websites, energetichealthinstitute.org. Um, I know you guys certify people there in holistic nutrition. There's a ton of resources there. So if you want to continue your path of holistic and health uh, education, go check out energetichealthinstitute.org. And go to beyondthecon.com, donate, get involved, help bring this important work uh, to the finish line. Uh, I know it's gonna be successful. I'm so glad to hear how confident you are that it's gonna be successful. That gives me confidence. I'm sure everybody tuning in confidence and um, you know, uh, it's important that that work continues and I know it takes resources to do so. So I'll be donating and I encourage all of our Listeners, please go support any way that you can. Dr. H, my man, thanks again. It's so appreciate having you here. Thank you, brother. It's, a, it's really an honor. I hope we get to do it again. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. 
it doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful what, for what you have achieved.